Welcome back to my teenage self, Love Anna, Gadi, and Fernie. A podcast where we talk about anything, but today we're going to talk about being undocumented and undocumented youth. Mm-hmm. And we have our special guest, who is Fernie. Um, but really, he's a man of many names. But today you're going to be. I'm going to be Fernie. So, Annalise and Gadi call me Luis. My mom calls me Fer. Everybody calls me Fernie. And then sometimes I get called illegal alien. <laughs> As you can tell, this is, I think this is going to be our most interesting podcast because your way of humor to cope with things is amazing. Top tier. Thank you. I try. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, well, let's 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 start at the origin, right? Let's start. What was your migration story? So at the age of three, I illegally and legally crossed the border so i came with my aunt and i used my cousin's paperwork to get into the country so technically that's on the government's fault for letting me in <laughs> they should have checked they should have checked the picture <laughs> because my cousin is not as attractive as me, so <laughs> there's no way we look the same but i guess at three yeah. years old you really can't tell <laughs> but do okay. you guys look the same no we don't hell no well, maybe as babies, but now, no, nah, I wouldn't. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. So you came here at three yes. using your cousin's papers. So you don't remember anything personally? Uh, I just remember, well, from what my mom says, she said that I couldn't stop crying because my mom was crossing in a different way. I don't want to speak about that because I don't know who's listening. Fair. Nah, I'm just kidding, but... uh. I was just crying a lot because I wanted to be with my mom and my aunt was worried because I was making a scene, you know, I tend to be a little dramatic. So <laughs> it, that was that's just how I was born. So I was crossing in their car and they were obviously passing paperwork. But all I could all, all they said that I was saying was, I want to go with my mom. I want to go with my mom. And they were worried because they were. So it's like they didn't want anybody to be like, OK, so where's his real mom if I'm using my cousin's paperwork? So. Yeah, I was kind of kind of being messy. <laughs> okay. And were you, well, maybe a little backstory. Are you the only child in your family? So, no, I came with, uh, I mean, I came with, I have two brothers, an uh, older brother. He's 26 now. He was five at the time we crossed. We crossed together. He used my other cousin's paperwork. And I have a younger brother. He's 19 now. And uh, my sister is 16. But my younger uh, siblings both have papers. Oh, yeah, they were born, they're here. born here. They were born okay. here, yeah. Wow. And then so your mom crossed in a different way, but around the same time and you reunited yeah, we were, here. Yeah, we were all crossing at the same time. So my dad had already been at the States for a while. Mm. I honestly do not remember that. Like, I know they said that he would send us over like toys and stuff and he would like send my mom money, but I don't remember like... I, all my memories are from when I was here. So it's hard when my parents are like, I'm like, I don't even know what tia you're talking about. Like, I don't remember anything. So, uh, that's pretty much. What's the question again? <laughs> <laughs> if your parents crossed at the same time. Oh, yeah. No, did. my so my mom crossed with us uh, and my dad was already here. I don't remember when he crossed or how he crossed, if I'm being honest. Like, I just remember crossing with my with my aunt and my brother and my uncle and then my mom, I don't know how how she crossed. 
And my dad was already here. And so now you are currently 20... 24. Four. So yeah. you've been living here for 21 years. 21 years, yeah. So it's like... Wow. I'm pretty whitewashed already, Link. <laughs> Explain I, what you mean by whitewashed. <laughs> uh, well, I grew up here. Like, I still... I still feel attached to my roots. My favorite music is in Spanish. As you guys know, I sing a lot. And most of my songs are in Spanish. So mm. I I still feel, but like, I feel like it's like so different because it's everybody has a, an experience about Mexico when they go. The pyramids are, but I don't really, I never have that like thing where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember how beautiful it was walking in Guadalajara. Like, I don't remember anything. I went to school in Guadalajara for a couple of years even though like i was super young like i would always want to go with my brother like because mm. he would go to school so my mom put me in school at a very young age i was i would go to school in a diaper <laughs> I, I, used, I used to love school and then i don't know what happened yeah. and now you're gonna be a teacher yeah sadly <laughs> <laughs> no just kidding i love kids for anybody listening to this <laughs> okay um <clears throat> So you got here when you were three. Yes. So that means that you started school. Yeah, pre-K? I did. I did pre-K here, and I did pre-K here. I went to uh, Miles Avenue Elementary in Huntington Park. It was like the their pre-K, and then I went to elementary there as well. So all my school, like from the moment I started school, like I was already like speaking English. I was already reading in English. I was. It was pretty much. It was never one of those like. Uh, kids that just came in and then it's like oh I had to learn everything like luckily I got the chance to come here at a very young age so I uh, was able to understand everything like I I adapted pretty quick mm. for my brother it was pretty hard because he had to stay back another year for school because it didn't oh. count so he so he had to stay back but since I was still like at a at a good age I was able to learn everything and it was like I said, I, I never was one of those kids who wasn't able to speak English in, in school. It was, it was, I was pretty much predominantly proficient already in both. Wow. Because mm. at home you spoke Spanish. Yeah, at home I spoke Spanish. And then my cousins who were, so I lived with my cousins for, I don't know if it was a year or two. I don't remember, but they spoke English. They were born here. So oh, they spoke a lot easier. of English. So it was so easy because I was speaking English with them and, I was speaking Spanish with my parents, with my aunt. So by the time I got to school, I was already good at both or decent at both. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh. Like you you had already been listening to mm. English, been speaking it. Yeah. And at that age, it's like. Yeah, and you, I think you it came more natural. Click. Yeah. Because it came from kids that you were learning it from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of like a teacher trying yeah. to teach you how to read yeah. and write it. Yeah. It was just the speaking and the listening. And then at but, school is when you learn how to write mm-hmm. and read. So. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty. That's, that's what I got lucky in the like. I see some of my kids now in high school that I, that I teach like struggle, like the difference trying to learn at a at an older age is like where I just came in and I was already like okay I still what pre K starts like at what like at four to five no mm-hmm. so I had like a whole year to just learn basically have conversations with my cousins and stuff before I actually went into the school system to learn like proper English reading and writing so that's that made it that made the transitioning simple. Wow. So I'm assuming you were not part of the ELD, ELD program. No, no. Even though uh, my mom, you know how you have to fill out the form. If it yeah. says like, do they speak Spanish at home? She did. But uh, I don't remember what. I think I took the test maybe mm-hmm. like before and I passed. 
like it was it was simple stuff so i reclassified really really quick so that's i don't think i took any eot classes because by the time i was in elementary and everything they labeled me as gifted so like <laughs> i was like i don't I, of course I, yeah. well i think at a point everybody was labeled as gifted when you're little yeah but that's i never i don't remember like by the time i was in middle school high school i never took no second english courses it was just the that first english class that you get and stuff that makes sense yeah i mean we we were talking about the lpac last year and i mean yeah, he, yeah. luis is also studying to be a teacher so you know a lot about that and you work in schools mm. and it's really interesting because when they give the test initially to children it's easy and or easier, easier. right yeah and then as it, as they get older, it gets so much so harder. Much difficult, yeah. And then especially with the kids that have two English classes now in high school, like they see this as like, why am I taking another test? And most of the time, they just don't care about their class because they're embarrassed to be an EOD. They're like, they want to like, what's it called? Like kids pass by and they're like, oh, why are you in that class? Like, don't you speak English and stuff? And they don't realize that all it takes is for your parents to sign one form and unfortunately if you're not good at taking tests then you're there for a while mm-hmm. until you or until you're able to reclassify yeah, yeah and they start to internalize like this idea that okay i didn't pass this test so i am dumb and i am not good at english and i'm never gonna do this and this and that okay. and i think statistically it shows like if you stay or it's i think it's called like um long-term eld yes mm-hmm. um an itel so if you stay there for more than five years and then you still don't uh, remove not remove but reclassify after high school the chances of you of going to college and getting a good job and doing all of these things is much harder yep and then a lot of our students well at least some students sometimes have some other thing going on which mm-hmm. is why they can't read it or like they can't read or write you know well yeah and so and also the test is is written by monolingual people not not bilingual people you know so it's yeah. and it's also boring like the <laughs> The yeah, things that they have to, to talk pro- about and listen. I had to proctor that test and like, it's like, it's literally meant for like, like younger children. Like, so when the older kids see it, they don't see it as actual tests. It's just like, uh, I have to do this again. So it's like, like there's a flaw in that program because it doesn't really demonstrate like how much, like, especially like newcomers, it doesn't demonstrate like their potential that they have, the, mm. all, the, all the things they have learned throughout the years. It's more like, okay, you didn't pass the test, you're still, you still have to be in the same class where before when they came, it was difficult for them to have a conversation. Now they can talk more and stuff, but obviously the, the tests don't really, uh, don't really see that. They just, they're like back to square one, back to starting the, te- back to starting the program again and then hoping to reclassify next year. Mm, it's not like they're grading how much they've improved. Yes, exactly. It's just, you haven't met that standard yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. Damn. I haven't thought of it that way because it's true. I think we oftentimes when our ELD students, they forget like, but you didn't know how to write an essay before. And now you do. Yeah. And they don't see that. Now they see like, but I still have to take that outpack test. Yeah. It really, uh, this encourages them because like, even though they, they know they made improvement by the time they're taking the test, they're like, okay, all that was, was for nothing then because now according to the standards, I'm still not, good enough to reclassify and stuff yeah Fuck. um so when you were in school i'm assuming you had like an easier time with english 
Um, and then I think I was interested in our last story that we had with your friend Eric mm -hmm. about when was his or when did he realize in schools that he was undocumented. And he gave us this really interesting story about in middle school. Um, they went to, on a field trip to Washington and he was really excited to go. And then his mom said, no, you can't go. And then they had to have that conversation with him. So I'm wondering if you ever had an instance like that where it became real or it became very, like, in your face, I guess, that, like, dang, I'm going to have limitations in terms of education because of my status. Yeah, so for me, it's crazy because I don't think I realized of my immigration status, like, fully until, like, I was, like, applying for college. Because, wow. I mean... My parents were low income, so there was no, you know, traditional things where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go on vacation to this place. We're going to go on vacation to this place. So in the back of my mind, I knew I was illegal. I knew that I didn't have papers, but I didn't know what it meant. Mm -hmm. I just like my parents wouldn't go to San Diego because it was too close mm. to the border. And like I would I would still often like go pretty far because of soccer tournaments. Like I would play soccer, but my parents, I would always go with a friend. My mom, my mom would just be like, oh, just go with your friend and. Like, they'll take you, they'll take care of you because we can't go. And I just didn't know what we can't go meant. Like, I just meant, like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, okay, you're scared. Like, what's going to happen? So I wasn't really aware of anything. Like, I didn't know the limitations it was until I started applying for college that it was. And before I started applying for college, well, I got DACA, right? So I was like, oh, okay, like, you can travel in the States. And in the back of my mind was I like, well, I couldn't do that before or what? Like, I didn't know that I couldn't travel in the States because I never really traveled until until i got older so yeah my once that daca came out maybe what was it 2017 2016 my dad hired a lawyer i was able to get all my paperwork done so then i was like oh, okay like what does this mean and then it wasn't until i started the college application that it's like it asked me so much so many questions like are you are you uh are you are you documented and then it wouldn't even have the option to put daca you would have to put like other and then enter your ucis ID so it was like I was just like overwhelmed and especially because when I would go to the college counselor she's like oh well I don't really know to be honest I can't tell you wow. like it's not it's not because it was something new you know like it was not many not many kids had uh how many kids had it at the time so I was like I didn't know what to do and then the worst part was when I was filling out financial aid because instead of the FAFSA application you have to do the dream ap application so that's like a whole other process, and then it asks you so many questions. And then, so it asks you if you have been a resident of California since, I don't know when, I think it was 2001, and I put yes. And I put yes, and then it would offer me, it would have to ask me like for additional questions, bank statements from my parents, just so I wouldn't be paid out of, out of state tuition fee. And I would always get charged that until I submitted the paperwork, which is crazy because I think it was like per unit, so it would end up coming like for a one unit class, I think it was like $12,000 just for a unit class. So, Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. You would have to pay and then they would like reimburse you? Yeah. So either you pay it and they reimburse you or you submit the application. So it's either or, but like the application takes a while. Like you have to submit forms, you have to submit proof that you were here before that time. And it was just crazy looking at the. Looking at the like the difference when I would pay like because I took some summer courses too and in, in college and uh, like a one unit class they would start charging me like eight hundred nine hundred dollars as opposed to a regular fee was like I think like eighty dollars. 
Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, so I would have to submit all the extra paperwork, go get bank statements, go get proof again. It was like, and it's every year, it sucks because even when I applied to my credential program, they were trying to charge me the out of state tuition, even though Dominguez has all my records. Like, all my records. So you have to just continue, continue to do this every yes, year? Yes, every year. So it's like Dominguez has all my records of like that I was there for my undergrad since 2017. Yeah, for my credential program, they're like, yeah, you still need to submit a out-of-state exemption form and make sure you attach all the documents proving that you were here. And I was like, it's just a hassle, an extra hassle. So it's like, it's that's when I started to realize, I'm like, okay, you know, like this, my immigration status is different. Growing up, I didn't really care for it. Like I said, it was just whatever. I still, if I needed to go somewhere, I went. And I never had that luxury of going like farther to farther places like mm. out of California. So I didn't I didn't even realize the big importance. I just it was just always in the back of my head. It wasn't until after where I started applying for colleges, doing financial aid forms that I was like, okay, you know what, this is not the same because even in the refund process, like some of my friends from high school would re- receive and return like two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars back as a refund. And whereas my refund was like $300. Wow. So in terms of timeline, you graduated high school 2017. Mm-hmm. And then do you remember when DACA came into into play? Was I, it around that same was, year? I think it might have been that same year. Uh, not same year. Maybe either the year before or a couple years before. I'm not completely sure. But uh, that's that's when I remember like going through the the whole immigration process mm. going to the lawyer and then going to get a fingerprinted and then waiting for to get approved because it's like you still have to apply you play all your you pay all your fees but you still have to see if they if they approve you they have to do a background check they check a bunch a bunch of stuff and obviously like i really didn't have a background i was most of the time i was uh uh what's it called like doing good stuff so like it was never that i i had a a history of bad things so it was it went pretty quick until that approving process i had to wait to get my card and then it was just a hassle like trying to get all the paperwork and trying to i literally had to dig in to find like grades or any work from like elementary school that i had to submit to the lawyer as proof That's that i was crazy. here crazy yeah well because i think when i was applying for for colleges i had to do I feel I right now I think I am I have to like check my privilege. Yeah. Cuz when I thought of applying to colleges for me it was that extra step because I had to like print out the form, have my parents sign it, mail it and it would take 2 to 3 weeks. And even that for me was like, "Oh my god, it's taking forever." Yeah. But the thing that you have to go through to the point where you have to check up until elementary school records yeah that's, that's insane good thing for hispanic parents i keep all your, all your work <laughs> shout out to my mom because i would have thrown all that shit away <laughs> no, same. Like, like, what do i need my elementary school writing like that's i don't care true. about that but yeah like surprisingly you already know we all have a box or at least i hispanic <laughs> Mine have, is a, have bag. a box yeah a bag with all your documents uh, you know she took out my birth certificate from under the so under the bed so <laughs> so that's it was still a hassle trying to find all that but yeah it's like i remember when my dad told me she's like y tienes tus grados de cuando estabas en la escuela en primero hasta quinto grado i'm like 
why would I have that? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to look at my grades from elementary school, but surprisingly, all that was there. Like, it was just a whole bunch of digging, trying to find like, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, like all past work grades and then still get like, so at the time I had, I had started my first job. I had to get like a couple of letters of saying that I, I was an outstanding citizen and stuff. So it's like it was it was a lot of work. Wow. It's, oh, wow. Yeah. Because when they they play you this narrative, I, I remember when I was first hearing it in the news, it's like, oh, DACA and the Dream Act is going to be this great opportunity for our young, like our young undocumented youth. It's going to be great. But then they don't tell you like, oh, but to get to that, you have to jump all of these hurdles and have all of these things in line. Yeah. And it's what's it called? It's. It was tough because, I mean, my dad, he's, like, very, like, like he got on it right away. He didn't want to do it because you can do the DACA process yourself. But he's like, no, we're going to get a lawyer. We're going to do it right. Wow. Like, he didn't yeah. want he didn't want there to be any mistake on our part. And then that, that stopped me and my brother from getting DACA. And it was at a time where he still wasn't, like, working at most. But that's still, like, the whole process was, like, maybe, like, 1200 bucks per kid. So it was for, for two of us and... That's twelve hundred dollars in twenty seventeen. My dad was still like that was a lot, that was a lot, a of, lot money of money. money. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it was tough, and then it's like he just he would always tell me he's like, it's like I just gotta do it. I just gotta make sure you guys are good. You know, like he didn't want anything happen happening to us, and then he just wanted to make sure that we had some kind of form of legal documents that prevented us from anything happen happening to us while we were away. Wow. Did your parents push on you to go to college or to like continue your schooling? Mm. Uh, surprisingly, no. I don't think, and I don't think even I was aware of college until I was like a senior in high school. I mean, I didn't have anybody that I didn't know anybody that went to college. I didn't know what college was, and it's like throughout high school, I was just always focused on like sports and stuff. And then until I was senior year, that it was like okay, time to start applying to colleges. I was like what does that even mean i was like so i couldn't talk to my parents about it so because they had no help i didn't have any like my older brother didn't go to college and like i have like uh like immediate family members here i have like one cousin maybe but he ended up moving to sacramento but that was like i had no like guidance so i was just like I guess I'm applying to college. I'm like, I have no idea what that means, but I, I guess I'm going to follow what everybody else is doing and apply to college. So that's, that's, that was my plan. I went in to, I went in undecided. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't even know what this means. It wasn't until after that. I was like, okay, I started like researching more on myself. And then like the whole like process of applying was like so stressful that it made me not want to apply because I was like, uh, like, it's so simple being a citizen and applying to a to a college here, mm -hmm. whereas like yeah. I have to do all this other stuff. I'm like I was at a point where I was like I don't want to do it anymore. Like why am I gonna go through all this hassle of finding paperwork, sending in forms, waiting to see they're approved, and then um, there was many times where I would send the forms to apply, and then they'll send me back. They're like, sorry, we still need more information about you, and I would send like so much information like. It said, usually you have to send like five items. I will send like a couple more just in case. And they'll be like, still, that's not enough. Sometimes I would have Oof. to write write my plan and be like, oh, why why is it that you have these forms? Or like stuff like that. Explaining my, like my status. So it was kind of like 
just an extra hassle so trying to go to college i was like okay like you know i guess like like do i really want to do this i'm like i don't even know what i'm gonna go in doing for or like what college is about so it like just really discouraged me and you still finished on time <laughs> surprisingly yeah that that's amazing that's like just perseverance yeah because the amount of i mean i Shout i out Quizlet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Yeah. oh my god but the amount of like stress that you could have i mean i would have been feeling the same way that you have and the fact that you had to do this every year when they already had your paperwork like what was the point yeah that's what i didn't get that what surprised me the most was definitely my credential program because i was like i was like everything's gonna be easy like dominguez has all my forms like i didn't move out of the state i didn't go anywhere like i still have the same address from where i was doing my undergrad but they're like, sorry, we according to your application, you're not meeting the residency um, status, so please submit your forms. I had to, luckily, the high school I work at is the high school I graduated from, so I just had to go downstairs to get my transcripts. <laughs> but even then, I was like, I had to call, I had to, I had to call the principal, and then I was like, oh, you think I can get my my transcripts? Like, imagine having to get your transcripts from high school four years after you already finished your undergrad from the same school. So I was like. Like, how does this even work? Like, I'm like, where are all the documents that I was sending before to Dominguez, like, for my credential program? That's why I was like, that's why, that's why I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get what they do with all these documents. Because it's still like, to me, it's like, okay, I, you are telling me that these young undocumented youth aren't criminals. They lived here for 21 years of their life. They are American. They just don't have the paperwork. So let's help them. But then let's make them feel like criminals to give us down to the last detail of their lives, you know? Yeah. But if you want to get a gun in the United States, give me give me your, your <laughs> name and address, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, like, literally, when I would go get fring- fingerprinted, luckily, because of COVID, they stopped the whole fingerprinting process unless you, like, committed a crime or something happened. But, like, you go into the office, the immigration office, and it's, like, scary. I feel like... Like, it's like you're getting fingerprinted. I'm like, I haven't done anything. I'm like, if if I really need to get fingerprinted, like, I, I've gotten fingerprinted so many times before I went to the immigration office to for school, for to work with kids and stuff. So I'm like, you have my record. I'm like, I wouldn't just be coming here if, if I knew that I wasn't going to pass. But it's like they make everything so intense, the security there. And it's like, for some reason, it's like every, like, government official is rude for no reason. Like, you're just trying to get your paperwork done. And they're like, nope go back to the line go do this go do that i'm like so it's like it was it was it was annoying and then it was just like i didn't want to be in the immigration office and then the lines and stuff but it was just like constant having to renew so i i went twice to the first time was when i was first getting my daca and then the second time to renew and it was like after that it was covid but it was like it was just it was just a hassle and it was like intimidating like you know like to walk in and it's like with all your paperwork and then mm. just just for you could get fingerprinted again and take a picture damn <laughs> I, I can't complain about anything ever with college <laughs> anymore <laughs> but now so you graduated and then what made you decide to be like okay i'm going for my master's now and my credential so i initially uh, i was like i'm gonna take a year off and sub because uh, once I finished my, I got my undergrad in kinesiology and physical education. So I was like, I'll take mm. a year in, sub, in subbing and then 
I'll go back to get my credential after. I was like, I want to see if it's something that I like, you know, like if I actually want to continue. I knew I didn't want to get my master's in education because I was I want to pursue something else after I'm done with my credential. So I was like, I'll just get my credential, teach for a bit and then get my master's again. So it was. uh, What was it? Yeah, like January, like two years ago, I subbed for the first time and then. I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back to school. Like, I'm going to get my credential, just be a teacher for a bit. You know, I was already working with kids in that school since 2019. So I already had, like, built a community with them. So it was just, it was not that much of a hard, hard transition for me. So I went back to school not knowing, again, like I said, the whole process was going to be the same. I was like, like, I went to that, to that meeting that they had the orientation, and I was just like, okay, like, this this seems pretty easy. Fill out the application, see if you get approved to start the teaching credential. But no, period goes same thing again. Same application, same questions about my residency, and then so I had to go back and dig for information. I think even I think I even had to submit transcripts that Dominguez already had. <laughs> That's so crazy to me. I mean, it's like you grew. It's not like you remember anything from Mexico. Yeah, I don't. Sadly, I'm like. I hate I hate those questions, especially like, no te acuerdas que tu tía te llevaba a la tienda? I was like, no, bro. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna remember going to the store at three years old. Like, I don't remember anything. Like, it's like, like very very little. It's like, I just I somewhat remember crossing the border, but then I never know if it's a dream. You know, like that mm-hmm. that, that dream that I have of me crossing the border. Yeah. But it's like it's very very hard to me like to remember anything from when I was over there. Like, I have pictures and stuff, but I was like, okay, like, those memories are are pretty much, like, hidden or gone already in my brain. And it's not like you, it was your choice. Yeah. You know, it's not like you were like, yes, mom, Let me do it. please take me to the United States, you <laughs> know? Exactly. So blame my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and wait, so to clarify for me, because I still am trying to understand it, with DACA or the DREAM Act, you can travel... In the states, yeah. just in the states, yeah. So you're not out the country. Okay, so you still can't even visit Mexico Me- yet. No, no, I cannot visit, and I think that's been like my biggest thing now. It's like, like I grew up and like I started working at a very young age, and like my dream was to always travel, like travel, go see sporting events in Spain, go to Europe and stuff. And it's like the crazy part. It's like it's been what, what are you six years since since I had DACA or more and like I still cannot do that and it's like I feel like that's just that that holds me back because it's like even when friends take trips like oh yeah we're gonna go to Mexico you want to come with us and then it's like like I can't you know like as much as I want to travel outside the country it's like I can't I have to and then that's just like oh, okay yeah I forgot they're like I forget that you don't have papers so it's like it sucks it's like like I want to I want to explore the world but yet I'm still holding back hasta que me case. <laughs> I knew. Tell me why I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> oh but it's God. it's crazy that you have to, because I mean, we're friends. We take classes together. We have, you know, and we, we you joke about this and how you want to marry someone that has papers. It's a as a joke, right? Not a joke. It's <laughs> a requirement. We're now. <laughs> We're now accepting applications for him. It's not. It's a, re- it's a requirement. It's in the interview process. I don't care how pretty you are. 
don't have papers. <laughs> but okay, you say, I mean, it, you say this because I think it's easier at this point to find someone, marry them for their papers than for you to wait for DACA or the DREAM Act to have something after that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's like, I mean, I've never been into politics. I don't really like care for them because I'm like, it's always like, oh, yeah, this year they're going to do something where if you have DACA, then you're going to be able to get a green card. And it's like been like that for every year. Like I just get those calls from my dad. Like, ¿Escuchaste lo que dijeron en las noticias? And I'm like, mm. no, I didn't. I'm like, like until I, he, until I get a call from my lawyer saying that we can move on with the process of me actually becoming a citizen, then I'll believe it. Because wow. it's like, like, like they say a bunch of stuff. It's like. Oh yeah, you know those people who have DACA. We're gonna push for them to, to get papers, and it's been like that for, what DACA was supposed to be temporarily, like like it was supposed to be a path towards citizenship, and it's been six years now, and it's pretty much the same thing. Well, what's crazy? Like my cousin, my cousin was DACA, and he got married. I don't know, in like like twenty fifteen or something like mm. that. So like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And he became a citizen this year. Oh, shit. Like, or a resident. Yeah. So he was married for a long time. For a long time before he got papers, yeah. Yeah. The system is, like, it's weird. Like I said, I don't really get into politics, but it just, it's very complicated because it's, like, like, I I basically grew up my whole life here. I didn't choose to come here. I was born, I, I work, I pay taxes, I go to school, and then it's, like, I do everything. I I don't I don't I don't sell drugs. I don't get into no illegal activities. It's like I don't do anything wrong yet. I can't leave the country because then I can't come back. You're like the model citizen. Exactly. Yeah, literally. But this just Take goes a picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> this goes back to what we were talking about. Remember, like when we were saying that. Um, you know, we grow up really quiet. We grow up like quiet households. Like nobody yeah. gets in trouble. Nobody gets like speeding tickets. Nobody, you know, everybody is safe. Everybody like lives ver- a very quiet, quiet life. life. Yeah. And and yet we still have to fight for something as basic as being able to go back to your like yeah. ancestral lands, you mm-hmm. know. And I've noticed that for a lot of because also like my brother was is also well was also undocumented got married but for them when they got married they got they got married by the civil so that it could be legally done and then year like time after they got married by the church because they wanted to start that paperwork early um but this idea of having like a quiet life i think for me i have been more outspoken than he has about his own undocumented status because I have papers, and for me, it's like, well, you can't. What are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah to me, I feel like. I mean, at least in my case too. Like, I definitely like. You know, people. A lot of people speak up for themselves. I'm like, hell, no, I'm not getting into no trouble. Like, something happens, I'm looking the other way. Somebody's fighting. I'm like, uh, I'll, I'll watch from here. Like, I am like, and my dad has always told me, like, you know, just be careful with, with, with where you're at, with what you're doing. Don't do anything that you're going to regret because it's true. Like, like the process of getting DACA was so hard, yet it could be taken away, like, for any little thing. It's like, oh, okay, you did this crime. Mm. Well, now I don't know if we want to renew your permit. Wow. And you have to pay the 500 every two years, right? Yeah, because that's how they, they literally still have your future in their hands. Yeah. 
it's like like make any little mistake and then it's like that's literally the first question my lawyer always asked me it's like did you get arrested i'm like nope it's like okay good because like one arrest for any little thing it's like or being in the wrong place at the wrong time then they're gonna look at you and be like yeah we i don't think you qualify to to renew this time so then that that makes it even harder for everything i can't travel outside the country now i can't even travel in the states it's like it just makes like having a job because with daca you get your social your work permit so it's mm. like it's tough so i just have to make sure that i stay that i stay clean and i stay away from anything that might put me into legal trouble and that almost makes la like a prison like a like yeah. a like there's even like borders around the city because it's a it's like where can you go if if you mm-hmm. can't go anywhere exactly and it's like still like you know like i've gone to san diego before like i've gone I've well now that I have that I'm able to like fly and stuff I've gone to different places yet I still try to stay away from the border just in case because it's like like my mom always says like you never know like uno nunca sabe lo que puede pasar like tomas por mala suerte te agarran porque piensan que estás haciendo algo mal and yeah. it's like they don't need any reason una persona con malas intenciones yeah. so it's like that's why I still mm-hmm. just try to stay away like I still want to travel and stuff. It just makes it. It just makes it so much harder. Yeah, and it, I think you know, going against the narrative or, or writing our counter story is that like you you become a prison to you like the United States becomes your prison almost. You know, yeah, like yeah. in and of itself, like it. What is life if you can't go everywhere? You, you're canción, not free. You know, la, la jaula dorada or la. You know, y'all don't know it. What? I'm gonna teach it to you. <laughs> but it's this idea of like La that you. Negra. Ay, cual puerta negra. <laughs> no, it's this idea of like it, los Estados Unidos. They sell you this narrative, right? That is the American dream. So a lot of parents migrate with their children here because it's this golden like it place to be in. But then it just becomes a jaula. It's this yeah. golden howla where it appears to be nice, but at the end of the day, it's still a cage. Yeah. There's so many limitations. Like I said, I mean, I didn't even know about them. Like, growing up, I was so clueless because it's like, okay, the chances of me getting into, like, I was always, like, basically, I was always with another family. Like, so when I grew up, I still remember, like, my first, I would always hang out with my friend Diego and his parents. They would take me everywhere to my soccer games. Then, like, around my teenage years, I would hang out with my coach, Cindy, and her family. So, Cindy's mom is my madrina. So, I was always, like, jumping and jumping from family because my parents were not able to take me. So, I was still, like, going out to my games, doing everything. I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know that there was any limitations until I got older that I wanted to start doing stuff for myself. Then I'm like, okay, I want to do this. They're like, oh, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. I always, like, Mm. I I always said, like... When I was young, I was like, yeah, when I get money, I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to go watch Barcelona play. And then once I started older, I'm like, oh, shit, I can't go. I can't go because how the hell am I going to come back? So it was like, it's very limited. And you don't you don't realize those limitations until you really start trying to set yourself free or trying to do stuff on your own. Way. Yeah. That really makes us, I feel, check our privilege. Yeah. Yeah, like when on at least went to Mexico. 
<laughs> and you know well the worst okay so the worst part is that like you you use humor for everything so like i never know when you're being like when you're being serious, serious. yeah so yeah. so when, <laughs> when I, no. you know when i was like i'm in mexico because you're like where are you aren't you in class i was oh, like yeah. i'm in mexico and you're like yeah that's fucked up <laughs> you know <laughs> Or when I was like, yeah, when I went to Korea, you were like, you oh, went yeah. to Korea? But so you selfish. said it jokingly. <laughs> but now it's like, damn. And I remember yeah. when I, well, I mean, when I went to Korea, I started and I really liked that we chose Undocumented Youth as our project. Because when I went there, I remember I went, I went hiking to this big old mountain and then I FaceTimed my parents. And I felt really happy, but this immense guilt. Guilt, yeah. yeah. Because they couldn't be there. And it's not because they didn't want to or they didn't like it. It's just they literally couldn't be there. But I could. And it's. I think that's what I'm having. It's the privilege that I have and the guilt that I have to process. And how do I turn that into something that I can help? Yeah, I think the important part is like, well, at least like that you, you know that you accept that you have a privilege you know mm. that's that's the good part like it's different when it's like when people flaunt it around and be like oh yeah sorry like that's like you can't go but like there's like people like you that actually like genuinely feel bad and care but it's like okay like for me at least when people travel i'm like fuck that sucks like you know like i wish that was me but i it's like like i just hide it because like i don't want like i don't want to be like i just i'm like soon maybe soon I'll, that that'll be me but it's like mm. i think as long as we're aware of like everybody's privileges because even me myself i'm privileged like i have daca they weren't some other people weren't able to get daca my cousin literally applied a year later and he got denied so it's like yeah like for me it's like trying to find like a a, a balance where it's like okay you know what yeah i can't travel I, but i can still go out of the states i'm still i still have a job i have a social like whereas in other people weren't even lucky to get that yeah yeah that's I mean, true. our our the person we interviewed last week he he didn't get DACA, and so he's kind of in that limbo because he also studied to be a teacher and now he mm-hmm. can't be in the classroom yeah. and and like just like hearing these stories and seeing like how nuanced they are right because it's like literally just a pl- like you were the, all the same age you know we yeah. all wanted to be educated and go to yeah. school and yet like something that's like achievable for you is like not achievable for him and something that's hard for you is like nothing for us us. you know and and yet like we all come from the same culture we all come from you know the same country right like similar uh, values similar values morals everything yeah that's that's i think that's been my biggest thing too like because like sometimes i forget like that i have daca and other people don't so that's what that's what sometimes keeps me like like I guess you could say calm because I'm like okay you know I got lucky like whatever like no no se hizo that I that I can travel and stuff but I have the luxury of working I'm I have documents I have I have everything I need to be successful here meanwhile so whatever happens happens in the future you know so like and then there's other people that don't so I'm like you know just learning to appreciate what you have mm. there was something that um that Eric said last week yeah. where he said that you know, he doesn't plan for the future. He plans for right now and like a little bit yeah. ahead. Right. Oh he always God, yeah. has a plan yes. B because he doesn't know what's gonna happen. Do you feel like you've lived your life like that too? I'm actually complete opposite the complete opposite. I'm always like looking at whatever's gonna happen in the future. So that's my my biggest thing where it's like I'm always like trying to look ahead. I'm like, okay, like I 
it's hard for me to enjoy the present because I see my, I see like, I see what I have and I'm like, I've always been very ambitious where I like, I want to succeed and I want to do more. So like, instead of enjoying what I have, like, and appreciating like that I have a college degree, that I have a good job, that, you know, I have, I'm healthy. Like, I'm always like, okay, what's going to happen in the future? So Mm. that's where I like sometimes, that's where I have that battle with myself where I underappreciate myself. Where I'm like, okay, you got a college degree now, so what? Like, you have a credential, you're about to get your credential, so now what? Like, I'm always looking a step ahead instead of sitting down and being like, okay, you actually, from whatever, everything that you had to go through from a young age coming to a new country, like, I've never, like, been like, okay, I'm proud of you. Like, I'm always like, nope, you still need to, you still need to get work done. Wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting, um, because I feel like it's very, I'm, I mean, I'm very similar, but I I feel like as a friend, I should tell you more often. Like, yeah. you need to be proud of the work that you are doing. Definitely. Because these are you'll things... you'll make me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But these are things that, like, that are so much more different and difficult to achieve than just every other person that we are in the room with when we are getting our credentials. Yeah, definitely. That's very true. But, yeah. I, you know, when I kind of like put your story side by side because they're almost so similar mm. right i mean like you and eric both came in using other people's papers you know like you both were here since you were children and like went through the elementary middle high school and college yeah. here and yet like he wasn't able to get daca and you were and like how literally that one thing how different it split up be, you know because you're like no i do look towards my future i look at what i'm gonna be and where i'm gonna be and what i'm hoping for versus him not having daca that's true that's crazy he's like well i don't know what's gonna happen yeah. because i like, haven't I'm been lucky with yet. what i have now yeah mm-hmm. and and it's it's really interesting because i feel like even for me and Gadi, like anything we could do whatever i mean I, i'll say and that's where I check my privilege because I'm like, oh, I'll, I want I kind of want to move back to Mexico or maybe I'll move here. I'll maybe I'll do that. And it's like that you can, you know, like everybody's experience yeah. is so different. And mm-hmm. and I have so much privilege that I never am like, oh, I am a privileged person. Like, you know, it's usually I feel like a lot of the narrative yeah. that we have is like we're people of color, we're people of color. But it's like but even a person of color has different, different privileges. Yeah. yeah. I think many times it's just that. Us internally, we're, we're aware of the problems, but we never, like, hear them out, like, in person. Yeah. So it's like, you would have not known this about me in school because we don't talk about this, you mm-hmm. know? It's just like, in class, all we talk about, like, oh, yeah, I don't have papers. And then we laugh. And then, like, you know? And, like, and then we never actually have, like, conversation, like, oh, like, how did you grow up? But it's so, like, many times we just, we just are aware of it and we're like, damn, like, you know, that sucks, but. Until you hear it coming from the person, like yeah, that's when you're like shit, like oh, okay. And like, I, I think your your perspective and you being an educator is gonna be so important because many times, at least when I was growing up, there was no teacher that also was like, oh yeah, I grew up undocumented and now I'm a teacher because DACA back then didn't yeah. was no. not a thing not ever, right? So now that there's this like change, we're now. Uh, children uh, or who were undocumented youth now have DACA chose to be teachers children are now going to be exposed to this idea of like oh yeah it's not easy for everybody and there's this different perspective now that we're being that's added on to education and educators yeah definitely I feel like at least our generation it's like like we've like we've experienced so much and we're like 
different like it's every gen every teacher gets to teach what they learned in their generation so it's mm. like what they had back then they would teach us and now we're able to like teach them and it's like i feel like we've just been more like we're we've been more engaged in social issues and like everything happening in the world that we're all like okay like you know we want to help these kids out we know that it's not easy for everybody we know that everybody has their own story so it's like that really benefits us as educators where it's like we're not going in just to teach about whatever content we're teaching. We're going in there to help students grow and to help them learn and build confidence and, you know, and, you know, things they may not be achieving at home. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think, like, we understand that, like, Latino students are not a monolith. None of them are the same and none of them have the mm-hmm. same story. Even though we're painted with that dominant narrative yeah. mm-hmm. where it's like, no, they have that one story exactly and even just with with the two stories that we've heard so far they're so different yep yep and nuanced so little little details that make a huge difference in Mm -hmm. people's lives and like my first memory of you was when they put us in the group together and and you were talking about how you love subbing in eld classes yeah those are your favorite students yeah those are like it's just those kids is like they understand that what they have there is like like it's yeah they're lucky to be there you know like they came from somewhere where it wasn't the same you know they probably didn't get school lunch they didn't have like people helping them out and it's like so those kids are more like like saben lo que tienen que hacer like they know that they have to work hard because especially mm. because they feel like well they're predominantly like uh hispanic or latino and then they know that they're still like even though like 90 percent of my school is latino they're like a different percentage because it's like they still hang out together they, they <laughs> hardly make any other friends that yeah. are not in their eld class so it's like those kids are just like okay like it's like it, it reminds me that it's like you know everybody has to work hard and all of them have a different story so it's just interesting like working with those type of kids yeah that's true yeah and i'm I, glad they have you as as a teacher you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. look you them <laughs> oh my gosh yeah you're i think the way that you've taught me a lot i think from meeting you and the way that you process things through humor because sometimes it could be very serious to talk about these things yeah (laughs) and you just have a way of like adding little details to make it comfortable yeah in an uncomfortable space that it can be i appreciate that about you thank you look at you (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Thank I feel you. like yeah, this has been really amazing and insightful to hear um your story. Like you said, like we I don't think these are casual conversations that you have with people that you just met. Yeah. yeah exactly. Sure. It's like it's so I think this is the first time I've talked about like my whole life. Like cuz you know how you you like when people are like you barely mean they're like, "Oh, it's basic. Where are you from?" Mm-hmm. Like and they're like, "Oh, you don't have papers?" Like, "No." Like, "What age did you come at 3?" But like that's you don't it. really understand like the whole process of growing up and it's like until you're like given the chance to speak so it's like i think i was thinking in the back of my head i'm like i think this might be the first time i've ever like talked about my life and i think wow. and that was our idea was like um for our, you know for a project it's like a five minute video but we don't want to do a five minute video because your life can't be con- like yeah contained. It, it feels like that where it's like very superficial and it's like here's this thing yeah, yeah. Versus this, it, you know, we are we are, we're already working on this. Mm-hmm. We were working, but it was like very like 
love and friendships. And then when no, fake stuff. No. Uh, <laughs> not fake. Yeah. That's how I know you haven't heard the podcast. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> no but, such thing as fake friendship or love. <laughs> <laughs> but then we realized like we could use this platform as something more, right? We could mm. use this platform to uphold stories that aren't told that like people can't tell, you know, because of fear, because of Nobody actually asking Ask, them, yeah. yeah, because it's uh, it's kind of like you have to. How we have to check gonna, yeah. our privilege yes. and hearing your story, yeah, you know, absolutely. So thank you, thank you. For that. I'm very excited for the next interviews to come too, because they're just gonna give us even more perspective to this huge, like, I th- like big complex thing that I still have questions about. You know, yeah. I mean, I didn't know the and difference learn. between DACA and and the Same. Dream Act. Yeah. until a week ago same and i have a brother who was undocumented yeah and i remember them doing that process but i was like oh well do you live with two younger siblings yeah. that don't have to go through they're, this process no they just they're like so i think my sister's in the process of applying for financial aid and she was asking me about her fafsa application and i was like i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> I'm like, I didn't have to, I, I'm like my, my application was something else I'm like maybe yours is easier I'm like well, but like it's crazy because it's like they don't have to go through all that they have all their they're, they're, they're documented they're just gonna have to submit the applications and that's it and then send and, a prayer yeah no for yeah. real because fast what you just it saves everything all your information and then you just click, click yeah. submit and then when you get to grad school it's like oh you're an adult now here's yeah, this and then instead of those yeah. five minutes yeah, so that's, that's it's definitely crazy. interesting. I mean, like, and then it's like, for me, where it's, I mean, my siblings are still kind of younger. We're, what, five years apart and then eight years apart, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they still don't understand, like, the concept of, like, traveling. So, like, my sister, like, they always, my mom always asks, oh, you want to go visit your, your grandma in Mexico? She's like, no, I don't want to go to Mexico. So I'm about, like, give me your papers. <laughs> <laughs> give me Yeah. Oh my god, that would be so hard to, to hear. Yeah, that's a whole different level because they're your sibling. Yeah, so I'm like, my no aprovechan. grateful. Yeah, no aprovechan. Wow. wow. Does your little brother go to college? No, he wants to go back. He graduated COVID year, I think. or mm. So he did most of his schooling online. So, I mean, he asked me to help him get back in. He wants to, like, community college. So that's it. But, like, I mean... My sister's probably the first one where I'm like, okay, like, we have to do all her process, like, financial aid, college application and stuff. So, I'm like, at least, I mean, like, from what I heard from my friends and stuff, like, those things were easy compared to what I had to do. So, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could figure it out for her. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. And, but, like, who was there to figure it out for you? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I feel like your dad. And, wow, like, what a resource, right? Yeah. Like, the fact that he... Supportive parents. That he, like, really put in the work to get you that DACA. DACA like, yeah, he literally, literally came out on the news, not even kidding you. He was already, like, I'm going to get through a lawyer. We're going to do this. And then, like, yeah. And then it was after that, it was just gathering everything up. Like, literally, I had, like, two folders full of stuff that I didn't think I would ever see in my life. I was like, oh, should I do this? So it's like... But yeah, like thankfully my parents have been very supportive. I mean, you know, my my mom still is like always like sees to the but like it's hard for me to feel proud of myself mm. when like I said I'm always looking at improving, but yeah, mm. like my parents both have been very very supportive. Wow. And your parents are still undocumented? 
yeah. yeah. I think my dad's and my dad got remarried. He's in the process of it. And I think, well, we have to wait until my brother starts, like, I don't know what it is for, I think, just to make a certain level of income for him to try to, like, get papers for my mom, so. Oh, oh, oh when he turns 21, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that, mm. that, yeah. Yeah. Wow. The, well, the way to get citizenship is so different for every person. Yep. Literally, it's like, there's so many ways, and yet all of them are hard. Like, let me sing the national anthem, and. <laughs> Getting papers, man. <laughs> or the Pledge of Allegiance, whatever. Wow. Don't they make you do that, though? Yes. Right? For your, for your citizenship oh, yeah. test? Yeah. yeah. No manches. They want you to start practicing this. <laughs> I don't think I know the whole national anthem. I don't even know the Mexico one. <laughs> that one's way harder, I feel. It's I feel like really long. You gotta hit, hit the beat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Luis, this was an awesome conversation. Yes. And we're really happy that you're here and that you were willing to share your story with us. Thank you. Yeah. You get to see what we do on the weekends. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Johnny. We're at the Sound Vibe Music Studio in Gardena. And we will see you all next week with another story in our undocumented series. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Ready, ready, ready.